Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Walhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Coriana Beyer, and Jacob Puckett. Jacob, St. Louis County Council made some changes to a relatively new law about EV charging stations. What's the uh, changes? So they made two changes, Zach, and they're good changes, but they didn't go far enough with their ultimate conclusion. Um, so the, the previous ordinance or law required that any property um, that had new construction on it, that had major renovations or just changed ownership um, would be required to install a certain percentage of EV charging stations just based on how many parking spaces they had. Um, in, in classic fashion, the county council found out that this had the unintended consequence of forcing people to put in EV charging stations simply just for changing ownership. So no no construction, no remodeling was done, just a piece of paper changed hands from one person to another. And you know, this apparently was not what they intended, so they took that out. And they also exempted um, certain places, like some restaurants, where people do not spend a lot of time there. And the, the business model requires people coming in and out, and you don't really want someone to linger in a charging station for, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. So we often talk about their spirit of laws and letter of law. Is the spirit of this law just that St. Louis County, St. Louis City wants to... Brentwood, don't leave out Brentwood. 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 Uh, wants more EV charging stations, and they thought this was the quickest way to ensure that that would happen? They did, and uh, that those three municipalities have passed that. But there are better ways to open up... Um, you know, properties in these areas to put EV charging stations in. Uh, for instance, instead of mandating that all sorts of property owners put these chargers in, they could streamline their zoning codes to allow um, you know, EV chargers to be built in more or less any type of, of zoning classification. Lots of cities and lots of counties around the country have done this. You know, St. Louis has not. Um, the, for the three jurisdictions that passed this, I checked their codes. The only reference to where chargers were allowed or were not allowed in in all of their codes um, were these mandates. So they could be a lot more clear um, on where they're allowed. And when I called uh, the St. Louis County Zoning Commission to try to talk to them about this, they said that uh, it can take weeks for all the necessary paperwork and multiple different studies uh, to be done just for someone to install a charging station. And again, lots of other places have, have improved this without a mandate by making the process very transparent, uh, not requiring lots and lots of studies to be done and multiple commissions to review it, uh, and in some cases granting these permits within a couple days rather than a couple weeks. And what's, and what's so ridiculous about this, I'm sure we could travel around the region and and we'd find plenty of businesses that probably put up an EV charging station and didn't know they had to get permission from the city <laughs> and the county to do it. I mean, I bet there's plenty of examples of people who just did it. Like the idea that you want to you buy an electric car, you have to get permission to put an EV station in your house in your residentially zoned spot. I mean, I don't know if that's the letter of the law. I'm sure it's being ignored widely, and maybe maybe it doesn't apply to your home, but. I mean, we travel around, I see lots of EV charging stations in places where they're not mandated, and I cannot imagine that every one of those went through a, a full zoning and planning application process. They probably just put one in because they want to serve their customers and give their customers that option at their local business, and that's the way it should be. This is not something that should be 
this is not something that should be in the planning and zoning process at all. Yeah, if, e- for mandate or permission or whatever. Yeah, e- EV drivers are a growing class of customers, and it's it's standard business practice to want to respond to the customers, whether to attract new ones or retain current ones, and we should want permissionless innovation. We shouldn't be handing out checklists of, oh, did you get all these different studies done before you can put in a charger and respond to this growing need. And in the uh, Show Me Institute podcast green room before we hit record here, David and Jacob, you guys were talking about a school district that might have interest in these new... So would public uh, money be put back into um, complying with this law? So would it be taxpayer dollars used to uh, add the charging stations if it was a school district or other public buildings? Absolutely. If you've got a, a municipality or a... I mean, school districts aren't exempt from locals, local zoning rules. So if they're redoing their parking lots for their football field or their just their high school, I mean, that, that can be very expensive because now they're required to put in EV charging stations. And I don't know about you, but I drove quite a beater when I was in high school. And I, I can't imagine other than some a couple of the fancier high schools, there's a lot of probably not a lot of Teslas in the high school parking lot here. So I think it's 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 silly to require it. If a school, if there's a demand for it and there's students or teachers that have it and the school wants to put them in, great. But the idea that it's just such a insane, there's no shortage of EV charging, charging stations around our region that normal reactions to normal market demand and consumer choice won't satisfy on their own. These these mandates are just completely unnecessary. And we say this as Speaking for myself, I presume speaking for Jacob, we support electric vehicles and the options for people to have them and use them. They're great. Yeah. But these mandates are just so unnecessary. And you mentioned that this was an unintended consequence. It seems like that often it takes a while for people to realize those. This seemed pretty quick, right, for them to realize that they, they passed bad policy and to make the correction. So yeah, maybe this, a good thing. This, has, this had only been in effect for a couple of months here in the unincorporated parts of St. Louis County before this development happened. So uh, it's good that they caught it early. It would have been better if they had, you know, instead of, redoing the rule and just slapping it on businesses again, just you know, make it easier for these businesses to put up chargers in the first place instead of requiring them to. All right. Now let's transition to the use tax portion of our program. Uh, David, there's an April 5th election coming up in Missouri, and one of the items that you've been talking about a lot around the state is a uh, use tax. What is Just briefly, what is a use tax and uh, what do people need to know before April 5th? Well, use taxes are simply sales taxes applied to goods you purchase out of state and, and would generally have delivered to your home. So it's just simply it's the, requiring the sales tax to be charged on things you buy online. Use taxes actually predate the internet. They've been around a long time. Uh, if you bought a lot from your J. Crew catalog back in the 80s, you, once you hit a certain threshold, you owe, you owed the use tax. Admittedly, shockingly, not a lot of people actually bothered to to pay that, and it was hard for cities to collect it. But nonetheless, it existed. Uh, now, with the incredible increase in online shopping, along with recent Supreme Court rulings and changes to state law, it's becoming a lot of cities and counties are trying to adopt it. We have about 70 cities and counties with the use tax on the ballot here in a week and a half on April 5th, and it's a it's a very interesting debate because there are arguments for the use tax. I mean, expanding the tax base when making the tax base wider is always a good thing. Uh, 
Equalizing the playing field between online sellers and physical stores is a good thing. But a lot of these cities and counties are trying to cover up the fact that this is a tax, excuse me, this is a tax increase. You're taking something that currently may not be taxed and taxing it. So we are arguing at Show Me Institute that, you know, we like what the state of Missouri did last year, where when they passed the Missouri version of the use tax for state sales taxes, that as revenues increase from that use tax, they're gonna, they've set it in law to lower the state income tax to offset that revenue. We think that's a great trade-off. And in St. Francis County, in you know, southeast Missouri, they've, they've got their elected officials have spoken in the newspaper that if they start raising significant money from the use tax, they're going to lower their county property tax to offset that. So those are the type of trade-offs that we, th- we think are great. You know, just either generally lowering property or utility taxes to offset it, or if your city or county has a particularly awful tax, like two cities in St. Louis County, Grantwood Village and Jennings, have the quarter cent economic development sales tax uh, charged there. Well, that's a terrible tax. That's an additional tax to do something, to collect money, to then turn around and give away corporate welfare as part of your economic development subsidy plan. Well, that's a terrible plan. So they should you get money from use tax and then vote out the terrible economic development sales tax. That's one of many examples. And it's, uh, it's interesting, and I hope city, citizens and taxpayers around the state are asking their elected officials to do what St. Francis County has said they'll do and lower other offsetting tax rates if the use tax is passed. That said, more egregious is the examples we're seeing in Chesterfield, Town & Country, many, many, many other places, I'm sure. Uh, University City for their Proposition F sales tax, which is not a use tax, but a different sales tax where you're just seeing so many examples of governments taking tax money and advocating for the passage of these these tax increases. They'll say, of course, that they're just giving out factual, neutral information to voters, but you cannot possibly read any of these things and not deny that it's completely in favor of, it's completely biased. Uh, Cities, counties, school districts do this all the time use tax dollars to give out biased information in favor of tax increases, and we really need the state of Missouri to put a stop to this. Someone should submit sunshine requests. We have submitted sunshine requests to Chesterfield Town & Country and University City, and my friend Tom Sullivan, who's been fighting this issue for years and done just amazing work on it, he is actively involved in some of these places as well around Missouri now, as he has been previously. And it's just, it's just egregious the way school districts are often some of the worst examples of it before a, a bond issue. And they put out all this neutral information that always just, oh, can we, conveniently enough, only has information on the good aspect of the tax increase and never considers any alternative argument. But it's supposed to be neutral and fact-based. So we're seeing this in University City where they're just sending out mailers and videos in support of this new Proposition F sales tax for the fire department. And it's completely and totally biased in favor of passing the sales tax. doesn't give any continence to other arguments at all. And they're using taxpayer money to do it, which is just absolutely infuriating. And in some of their mailings, and I'll put this online, they don't even use the Oxford comma. And that drives me (laughs) really, really crazy. More than anything else, perhaps. I was undecided on the issue, but with that... Uh, and, no Oxford comma. So, David or Coriana, what are we hoping to find out from the Sunshine Request? What information are we looking for? We're looking for information on 
to see how they came about the decisions to work to use this tax dollars to advocate for the use tax or Proposition F. I'm sure Tom Sullivan is doing his own work, and he'll gather great information as well. But we're just looking to find out something about the process. Like, is there? do they ever consider even alternative viewpoints or facts that might not buttress their argument for passage? I mean, for something that's supposed to be neutral and information-based, nothing I've seen so far is, is anything like that. It's all very biased and in favor of passage. And so we're just looking to, to see how, how the process underwent. All right. Um, something else that's been in the uh, state news this week is gas tax holiday. We like tax holidays sometimes. Uh, Coriana, I think you've written about the sales tax holiday, the back-to-school shopping. Um, anyone can jump in on this. What's our take on a gas tax holiday? Specifically, I think the both bills call for six months starting in May. To the end. What, what's our take on gas tax holidays? Um, well, in general, a tax holiday, I wouldn't say is like the best sort of policy. Because if that revenue doesn't need to be collected, then maybe it should be you know, lowered for everyone forever or like some more sort of like permanent change should happen. A sales tax holiday normally just like they do them for the back to school, it normally just shifts when people are going to buy things and it doesn't end up saving people a lot of money if you don't know what's happening. Also, if cities can opt out of it, then it doesn't really have any effect other than like a marketing scheme. So if there's actual like extra revenue that doesn't need to be collected, then that should go back to taxpayers in a way that it goes back evenly to everyone. Um, Now, this one is a little bit more, I don't know, pointed in that we have this big situation that's going on that has raised gas prices and I'm not sure if this is something where legislators feel like this is what they can do to help taxpayers in some way I mean the the issues with Ukraine and everything like that there's not a lot that we here in Missouri can do about it Um, so I'm not sure if this is just an an act that they would like to give back to taxpayers is just a way to help as tax prices go up. But I did see that this was the first week that tax prices in St. Louis and elsewhere have gone down. So maybe we've reached the peak and we're going back down. And the fiscal impact of these uh, bills is estimated somewhere between 300 million and 450 million. Jacob, you've done a lot of work on our transportation funding in the state, and a large portion of that is from the gas tax. What would the impact be if we'll just Put it in the middle. It's, you know, $400 million that we would miss out on from a six-month gas tax holiday. What would that do to our already kind of feeble uh, road maintenance budget? Well, MoDOT has repeatedly said that they need more funding uh, to keep Missouri's roads in better condition. They, they did come under some scrutiny when, after the gas tax increase passed, they decided to give themselves raises pretty quickly which uh, did did raise a lot of eyebrows. and That's not a great move, great PR move not, right not there. Not a great look. You're losing the PR battle already. But if, if lawmakers are serious about this, then uh, they should take a look at what MoDOT can do with uh, funding from the federal infrastructure bill passed about half a year ago and see if the uses for that money lines up with what they could be using this uh gas tax revenue that they're considering foregoing, seeing if those overlap, seeing if, you know, uh, raising gas taxes in six months is something they want to go through again rather than sticking with the schedule they have. Um, it's, yeah, those are, those are things that they have to consider before deciding either way. 
And David, if the thought is that we want to give some Missourians some financial relief during this time of high inflation and gas prices, are there other ways they could go about it than just cutting the gas tax? Are there maybe um, broader tax uh, relief programs that they could look into, maybe an income tax rebate or something else? Absolutely. I mean, not... Not everybody drives, and gas taxes are gases. Gas prices, excuse me, aren't the only thing that have been increasing dramatically. I mean, grocery prices are are way up. Prices for many many goods are up as we experience really the first inflation, the first significant inflation in America in f- about forty years. So, a gas tax only would would address the pain at the pump for gas price, but it doesn't do anything about, or it would do very little for groceries and many other goods that we purchase. So perhaps more of a sales tax, more of a general sales tax cut, a temporary cut for a, a 1% or 2% or 3% on that state sales tax would benefit everybody, not just those who, who drive a lot. Well, most people drive in Missouri. You know, not everybody does, and some people don't drive very much. Well, and what would the immediate impact be? What's the current gas tax in Missouri? Uh, it's 19.5 cents per gallon. So people would see about a 20 cent drop at the pump. So um, all right. Well, uh, we'll move on to what people are keeping tabs on in the next week. David, we'll start with you. In Colombia, there looks like they're wrapping up their broadband business task force, and which Show Me Institute has submitted comments for. And it appears, uh, it seems to be good news that they're they've decided that they're not going to tr- move forward with a city-owned municipal broadband system where they build out their own system and either operate it themselves or lease it out. So they appear to not be going in the direction of a municipally owned internet provider uh, system in various ways. And that's very good news. These types of municipally owned internet systems are a a terrible idea. We have them in too many cities in Missouri, Springfield and Marshall. Springfield's probably the largest, uh, but Marshall, Houston, uh, and uh, and a, n- a number of others. It's a bad idea, and it's exciting to see Columbia make a, a good decision, at least so far, to not move forward. That's the type of thing that should be left to the the private sector. And we've, there's plenty of internet provision in in Missouri. The few parts of perhaps very very rural Missouri that don't have don't have true internet services. There's maybe there's an argument for some type of government stepping in there, but that's not the situation in Boone County or Columbia. So good to see they've at least temporarily made this choice. Coriana? So last week, the legislature was on spring break. So now things are starting up again. And as we get a little bit closer to April, um, I'm hoping to see any movement, some movement um, on some things happening in Jefferson City. There's quite a few tax-related bills. Um, licensing related bills that I'll be watching and I'm hoping that legislators can just try and get something anything done but not the bad stuff not the bad stuff <laughs> only the not good the, stuff not the economic development subsidies the entertainment tax credit the the how the film tax credit lots of the land bank bill there's lots of terrible bills in Jefferson City that hopefully the the chaos in the Senate can bottle those up too, while allowing some of the good bills through. Yeah. And Jacob, this one's uh, different for you because in the next week, I mean, and this is not going to say, like, we don't care what you've got on tap for the next week, right? <laughs> like this, so this is Jacob's uh, last day actually at the Show Me Institute. So um, I don't know, like you're just going to be uh, hanging out over the next week. I mean, I guess take it in any direction you want. 
I, I am going headlong into multi-level marketing. Come to me for your skincare products, hair care products, and just general ways to retire within six months if you sign <laughs> up under me. This is uh, Jacob's <laughs> last episode of the Show Me Institute podcast, and we want to thank him for uh, all of the work that he's done at the Show Me Institute, and he will be missed. David Stokes, did you have anything else to add? You look like you were... I'm just stepping up to say goodbye to Jacob. <laughs> all right. Goodbye, David. <laughs> <laughs> And on that beautiful moment, <laughs> captured on the Show Me Two podcast, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.